There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD sergeant with 27 years of service. I wasn't going to come on tonight, but this breaking story where the Stockton serial killer, the serial shooter, has been apprehended. Outstanding police work. Uh, we, We spoke about it, what it would take to apprehend this individual, and apparently the police have done just that. Uh, I'm going to show a bit of a, um, a video here, and we'll give you a couple of the facts involved in this apprehension and arrest and further investigation. Arrest made in the Stockton serial killings. Police saying this man, 43-year-old Wesley Brownlee, is behind seven shootings that took the lives of six people and hurt another. Investigators taking him into custody in North Stockton this morning. This crime was solved because we're Stocktonians because you don't come to our house and bring this kind of reign of terror and not mobilize 350,000 people, 780,000 in this whole entire county, mobilized, mobilized, and capture this individual who reign of terror is no longer. Thanks for joining us at five. I'm Marley Ginter. CBS 13's Brady Halblife joining us live from outside the Stockton Police Headquarters with what we know right now, Brady. Well, Marley, police say this arrest really comes down to two major factors here, community tips as well as good police work. And this morning, they were able to make that arrest. 43-year-old Stockton resident Wesley Brownlee was arrested in connection to the serial killings that left six people dead. In a news conference this afternoon, we're told a surveillance team followed Brownlee while he was driving. Officers stopped him in the area of Village Green Drive and Winslow Way around 2 a.m. this morning. Police say he was wearing dark clothing, a mask around his neck, and also carrying a firearm. That firearm appearing to be a handgun based on the photos shared by police with us today. It's not clear about how police identified Brownlee as a potential suspect, but they did stake out his home before following him and making the arrest. Our surveillance team followed this person while he was driving. We watched his patterns and determined early this morning he was on a mission to kill. He was out hunting. We are sure we stopped another killing. The San Joaquin County District Attorney's Office says they are going to prosecute Brownlee to the fullest extent of the law. They're also trying to determine the appropriate charges right now as well. Now, city officials and law enforcement also wanted to thank the community for all of the tips that they provided them. They received hundreds over the past few weeks, as well as good police work. Marley. Yeah, no, a lot went into this, Brady, and just chilling to hear the police chief there saying that he was out hunting. We will definitely continue to follow this one. So much fear and emotion. Brady Halbwag, thank you for that live report. You know, folks, we spoke about this and how important it was to apprehend this individual and how important it was to link cases together because they had, don't forget, they had ballistics. I think they had matching ballistics on it at least six cases, and they were able to link these together. And that is so, so important. In fact, now that this is this individual has been apprehended, they can take their time now and link further cases together. There potentially could be more than six shootings. Uh, six homicides since April that have unsettled residents in California's Central Valley might be the work of a serial killer. I think that they were very slow uh, to actually call this a serial killer. I think that they didn't want to um, uh, bring panic on the neighborhood, but yet they really needed to tell people so people could take precautions, be safe, know who and what they were looking for. That video that they put out uh, was very, very important. I think that video. Got a lot of people uh, involved in 
in looking at the potential suspect and what the suspect looked like. And I think that was important in sort of mobilizing the community and letting the community know that this was no joke. This was a serious thing. It already struck seven times. And that breaking news, an arrest made in the Stockton serial killings. Police saying this man, 43-year-old. That video you see of him walking and they showed he had sort of like a hop or a limp type walk. I think that helped a lot, getting the community mobilized, getting the community involved, getting the community to call the tips line. Wesley Brownlee is behind seven shootings that took the lives of six people and hurt another. Investigators taking him into custody in North Stockton this morning. This crime was solved because we're Stocktonians, because you don't come to our house and bring this kind of reign of terror and not mobilize 350,000 people, 780,000 in this whole entire county, mobilized, mobilized, and captured this individual who reign of terror is no longer. Thanks for joining us at five. I'm Marley Ginter. CBS 13's Brady Halblive joining us live from outside the Stockton Police Headquarters with what we know right now. Brady. Well, Marley, police say this arrest really comes down to two major factors here, community tips as well as good police work. And this morning, they were able to make that arrest. 43-year-old Stockton resident Wesley Brownlee was arrested in connection to the serial killings that left six people dead. In a news conference this afternoon, we're told a surveillance team followed Brownlee while he was driving. Officers stopped him in the area of Village Green Drive and Winslow Way around 2 a.m. this morning. Police say he was wearing dark clothing, a mask around his neck, and also carrying a firearm. That firearm appearing to be a handgun based on the photos shared by police with us today. It's not clear about how police identified Brownlee as a potential suspect, but they did stake out his home before following him and making the arrest. Our surveillance team followed this person while he was driving. We watched his patterns and determined early this morning he was on a mission to kill. He was out hunting. We are sure we stopped another killing. The San Joaquin County District Attorney's Office says they are going to prosecute Brownlee to the fullest extent of the law. They're also trying to determine the appropriate charges right now as well. Now, city officials and law enforcement also wanted to thank the community for all of the tips that they provided them. They received hundreds over the past few weeks, as well as good police work. Marley. Yeah, no, a lot went into this, Brady, and just chilling to hear the police chief there saying that he was out hunting. We will definitely continue to follow this one. So much fear and emotion. Brady Howell, thank you for that live report. Folks, no doubt that this shooter, this killer, he was out patrolling. Much as the police patrol for bad guys, he was out patrolling for another victim. If you don't believe that, then, you know, I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. He was out looking for another victim. And these police, they did an outstanding job. They had him under surveillance. They stopped him. They they noted what he was wearing, and they they recovered uh, an illegal gun. I guarantee that gun's going to match the seven shootings. Someone said in the chat, "Is this really a serial killer as a, opposed to a spree?" Of course, it's a serial killer. Serial killer is defined as two or more incidents with time taken off between. So he qualified. He did seven. They have ballistics matches in seven shootings. Six of the individuals shot were shot dead, and one was a woman who, who survived it, who was shot six times. So there's no, no doubt that this is a serial killer. And again, the police did an outstanding job. You know, they, uh, they were announced this just very, very recently, and they get on this, they get on this right away. I, you know, this chief is not a great communicator. Uh, let's face it. He, he doesn't, uh, he's not warm and fuzzy and he doesn't get the um, information out there quickly, succinctly and to the point. He, he sort of uh, prances around or beats around the bush a little bit. But definitively, you can't argue with the results. They made an arrest. They, they arrested a serial killer. Here's the, the famous picture they put out that was taken from a video and they made stills of it. He had a very unique walk, and uh, I think that sort of helped 
mobilized the community, as well as the fact that he was targeting homeless people. Uh, the police in Stockton, California, said last week that five victims, all men between the ages of 21 and 54, were fatally shot while alone in dimly lit areas at night or in the early morning between July 8th and September 27th. Four of the men were Hispanic, one was white. On Monday, the police said they had linked two additional shootings, bringing it to seven. A 40-year-old Hispanic man was killed in Oakland, California, about 70 miles west of Stockton on April 10th, and a 46-year-old black woman was shot in Stockton on April 16th, but survived her injuries. Uh, the chief, Stanley McFadden, said in a news conference on Tuesday that authorities do believe we could have a potential serial killer. That's how we're going to treat it as such. It wasn't a potential. It was a serial killer. When I talk about the chief not being definitive in his language, that was part of it. Um, he added that authorities have connected the killings through ballistics and video footage, but he did not give details. The Stockton Police Department released footage on Tuesday of a person of interest, Chief McFadden asked residents to help police find the person in the video who's seen walking with an uneven stride and an upright posture. Investigators have interviewed the black woman who survived. Chief McFadden said she told investigators that she was in her tent when she heard someone walking around her campsite. When she stepped outside, she saw someone wearing dark clothes and a mask pointing a gun at her. She rushed toward the shooter and was shot multiple times. The shooter then lowered the gun. When asked if homeless people were at risk, Chief McFadden said, well, to be honest, I would say everyone is at risk. Uh, none of the five men shot in Stockton were robbed. Their keys and wallets were not taken. Chief McFadden told reporters last week the attacks happened in different neighborhoods. It was not immediately known if the victims in the two additional shootings were robbed. Well, apparently they were not. Police said on Friday the investigators had reviewed hours of surveillance video and were seeking a person of interest whom they asked the public to help identify. The, public, the police published a photo of that person walking, though the photo offered few identifiable clues. Investigators did not know if that person was responsible for all the killings or if others were involved. There could be one person, there could be multiple people, but it turns out it looks like it's just one person. Uh, I had said, there's a picture in this uh, that's also a picture of the perp whose name is uh, Wesley Brownlee. So on the screen, that's the picture of Wesley Brownlee. And that looks like a, uh, it looks like a nine millimeter uh, semi-automatic handgun. In the picture to the right, uh, they'll be looking at ballistics. Here we have uh, we have four rounds. You could see the um, I spoke about the last time I was on the air. You could see the firing pin impression on what would be uh, a spent shell on the ground around or near the shootings. That's an identifiable um, ballistics marking that detectives and uh, ballistics experts can match to the shootings, to all the shootings, and link them all together. In addition, on the side of the casings, there could be extraction marks that are also unique to the firearm, and that can also link all these cases together. Uh, this is also something, this is called uh, lands and grooves. And uh, when, when a bullet goes through the barrel of a gun, the barrel produces markings on the bullet and the, the lands and the grooves, uh, they exist because of the machining process to make the barrel of the gun. Again, these markings are unique to the firearm. In this case with this serial killer, we had um, seven shootings. So I would imagine they have seven shoot, shootings worth of brass, spent shells on the ground, which are these. These aren't spent shells. Well, actually, they are. They're spent shells. And these uh, for seven shootings would ma match exactly 
for this firearm you see on the right. The ballistics work will done by, be done by a detective, and it'll link all these shootings together. The, the other thing is about this shooting is that the, one of the first things, of course, they're going to do is they're going uh, to test the gun, and they're going to bring the perpetrator in, and they're going to interview and interrogate him. And there's a good chance with a serial killer, serial shooter, that he'll want to talk about his crimes. They, they usually like to brag about their crimes. So I think if they can get a statement from him, potentially have him admit to other crimes that he's committed. I don't think he's just done these seven shootings. I think um, I think if they interviewed him, Teresita Hills. Hi, Sergeant Bill. So glad this killer has been caught. I love it when law enforcement succeeds. So do I. I do too. And especially you heard the chief say, and they use the language, he was out hunting. That's exactly what he was doing. You think they maybe had plainclothes units out there? You bet your butt they did. All the th- all the things I recommended the other day, not that they were listening to me, was that they put plainclothes units in the homeless areas, walking around, integrating themselves with the people, talking to the homeless people, walking and seeing who's around. What Talk to the homeless people. Have they seen anyone suspicious? What are folks saying about this? That's the best way. And they had a task force for this guy because they did not, of course, want this, of course, want this to happen again. And they prevented it. As the chief said, he was out hunting. And before he could shoot another victim, the task force team, the plainclothes officers, pulled his car over. And they gave him a good toss. They tossed his car. And lo and behold, like the old street crime unit in New York City, they recovered this, which appears to be a 9 millimeter semi-automatic handgun. And by doing so, they were able to prevent, undoubtedly, another homicide, which would have been number seven if he killed somebody. So fantastic job by the police. Uh, I have nothing but praise. I also spoke the last time about when we talk about serial killers, there's two types. There's organized and disorganized offenders. And because of the way this individual was operating, I said he's an organized offender. He probably lives in a house. He owns a car because he's driving around. He's not walking around. He's not taking public transportation. I don't know. I haven't heard about his background yet. They'll do a complete background on him. All they released uh, so far is that he has a criminal history. Wow, how surprising, right? But I said that he's he's probably smart. He's probably intelligent. Maybe he has a job, lives in a house, and owns a car, and is driving around. He's planning. He's plotting out his uh, his victims, and that's exactly what he was doing. In fact, he was wearing dark clothing. He had a mask on when they pulled him over. So all of these things show that he was uh, he was planning his assaults. And again, the traits of, of an organized defender. And no doubt, that's what this individual was. He was an organized serial killer that was killing people really for no reason. I mean, sort of ridiculous, right? But in connection to a series of killings in that city. Police have arrested 43-year-old Wesley Brownlee overnight while he was driving. They say uh, the suspect, quote, was out looking to kill. Police have been searching for a serial killer who ambushed and shot and killed five men in Stockton since July. They also believe the same individual killed a man in Oakland and then wounded a homeless woman in Stockton last year. When police found Brownlee, they say he appeared to be on the hunt for another victim. As officers made contact with him, he was wearing dark clothing and had a mask around his neck. He was also armed with a firearm when he was taken into custody. We are sure we stopped another killing. For the last two days, I have met with our victims, their families. I can't go into our conversations, but our talks were very emotional. 
they want us to bring this person to justice. Authorities did thank the community for helping them catch the suspect by providing tips. They have not yet released a motive for the killings. I don't think there'll really be a good motive for a serial killer. You know, I don't think he's going to have a motive other than he, he just wanted to kill people. You know, it's uh, there's really no good motive. Um, Mike over at Profiling Evil said the suspected serial killer works in healthcare, but declined to give specifics. You know what? The, I think the important thing is is that uh, he's an organized offender, and when we learn about serial killers, it, we talk about two types: organized and disorganized. And he's undoubtedly, and he he has all the traits of an organized offender. Owns a car, owns a home, or lives in a home. Owns a car, lives in a home, travels, plans his uh, plans his assaults, works, is like a regular normal person. So all of those, when we're looking for um, a serial killer, all of those things uh, help us to find out uh, to find the person. And he he undoubtedly checked all the boxes. And they look at the gun there. Um, that appears. Um, to be nine millimeter, I, and it looks like a cheapo gun too. Uh, doesn't look like a, you know, like a expensive Beretta or Six Hour or, or Smith and Wesson. It appears to be a cheapo gun, but nonetheless, even uh, even cheapo guns, uh, even cheapo guns kill people. You know, uh, it's. Um, it's a, it's incredible that this guy could just go out there and you know and look Stockton is a high crime area as it is I think Stockton uh, had forty has forty three murders already this year that's that's a lot of murders and uh, so it's not like they're not used to violence in this community uh, not not that you ever get used to violence but uh, it's not they're not a let me put it this way. This community is not a stranger to violence. And um, it didn't help that this serial killer was adding six more victims uh, to the violence in uh, Stockton, California. And thank you for being here. Before I begin the statement on behalf of the Office of the District Attorney, I'd like all of us to take a moment of silence for these victims. If you would join me. You know, the other day we saw an article in the paper that talked about serial killers in San Joaquin County. Some were not ours. They simply died at CDCR's facility in Stockton. But the few that were ours, they wanted to emphasize that they had come to our community. But what they missed was that they all had been arrested, successfully prosecuted, and removed from the street. And that's what happened here. So we want to thank our partners in law enforcement Stockton Police Department, Chief McFadden, thank you. Catherine Nance, Sager, all of them who have worked, their detectives, officers on the street, who have worked so hard and dedicated themselves to ensuring the arrest and apprehension of this suspect. We've worked with fellow local, state, and federal agencies who assisted in the capture of this suspect, Wesley Brownlee. I want to thank District Attorney Ron Freitas elect, Chief James Boyko from the Bureau of Investigations, and a marvelous team of him from my office. Um, supervising Deputy District Attorney Caitlin Casey, Deputy District Attorneys Janet Smith and Elton Grau for their hard work and dedication 24 hours a day, seven days a week on this case and all the other cases that they handle. They're the most ethical, professional, hardworking people you could have the privilege of working with. The city of Stockton, all of their resources were made available during the course of this investigation. So thank you, city manager. We appreciate that. ATF um, and our business community, our spiritual community. I couldn't go five feet in this community where people weren't saying prayers that we find this individual and prayers for the survivors and families that have been so terribly harmed by this crime, these crimes. I wanna thank all of them also those who contributed to the reward amount. 
In conjunction with Stockton Police Department, the San Joaquin County District Attorney's Office is, to committed to, is committed to ensuring the safety of our community. My administration has been working around the clock to providing any necessary resources that the Stockton Police Department would need during the course of this investigation into these tragic killings. My deputy district attorneys who have been here all night are reviewing the evidence as we speak, and they're working actively in partnership with the investigation to determine the charges that we'll proceed on. The defendant, because I'm no longer ever going to say his name again, because he doesn't deserve to have a name. He doesn't deserve to be out there. So the defendant is what we're going to call him from now on. The defendant will have charges, will be arraigned in court on Tuesday afternoon at 1.30. At that point, after the arraignment, we'll have a press conference announcing the charges and discussing those charges further with you. This is a very fluid and ongoing investigation. So we will most likely be adding charges, but at this time, we have to bring them before a magistrate within 48 hours. That clock's running now, so we have till Tuesday to bring them in. We'll arraign them at that time, and then we'll proceed to continue to assist with the investigation and also assist in healing our community. Our Family Justice Center, our doors are open, our victim witness services are available, and we're here to help. This crime was solved because we're Stocktonians, because you don't come to our house and bring this kind of reign of terror and not mobilize 350,000 people, 780,000 in this whole entire county, mobilized, mobilized, and captured this individual who reign of terror is no longer. So I wanna thank San Joaquin County and particularly the city of Stockton, community members, activists, people in our faith-based community, businesses, our law enforcement, our prosecution, and now we'll be rolling into the court. Thank them all for this opportunity to really bring home justice for these victims. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for being here. So folks, they're, they're obviously super happy, as they should be, that they caught this guy. All their efforts, all the efforts of law enforcement, all the efforts of the community. Uh, the community, of course, was was terrified because they didn't know when was the next time this guy going to strike, you know, um, when was he going to hit? They didn't know. They, they had no idea. Um, the community definitely was, took part in this. They can take a bow too. They helped their tips. Um, the information that they gave to the police undoubtedly helped. And of course, what we know is going to link all of this together is right here. There we go. Ballistics evidence. And I talk about um, all the time about the art and the science of investigation. And again, I'll point it out to you guys. This is part of the science. Ballistics is undoubtedly a science. You know, there's three types of ballistics when we talk about a firearm internal, external, and terminal ballistics. Internal ballistics is everything that happens inside that firearm. And there's a lot happening. Uh, you know, with a semi-automatic, the gun is cocked. You always see on TV, they do that for, um, for dramatic effect. You know, they slide the slide back. But anyone that has ever, um, that works in law enforcement, knows you don't have time to cock your gun back. So you carry your gun cocked and ready to go. A uncocked semi-automatic, that's called out of battery. So you could actually be carrying a gun and you pull the trigger, it won't go off because it's out of battery. So every law enforcement officer is trained, of course, knows you carry your gun cocked. So, you know, when you see that on TV or in the movies, when someone pulls out a gun and goes and racks the slide, that's really just for dramatic effect. No law enforcement officer would ever do that. That'd be lunacy. It's one second of uh, time where you could be getting shot while you're racking the slide. So again, when you look on the screen, this is a uh, bullet that was fired. And I believe really the proper terminology is projectile. Because if I said bullet in front of a ballistics expert, he'd say that it's a projectile. And you could see the lands and the grooves on this fired bullet. And that'll match up exactly 
to the gun that it was fired from. In this instance, it looks like a nine millimeter semi-automatic, and they'll have seven of these shootings. So probably more likely they'll have spent shells, like much like these. Um, these are nine millimeter spent shells from all seven shootings, unless they also discover additional shootings, which is a really good possibility that now that he's under arrest, maybe he'll actually even admit the other shootings that they don't even know at this point that he did yet. Uh, so what, some of the things that they did also, um, they worked with, with the homeless people uh, during, during this case. And that's where, you know, they, they needed, when you do an investigation, you need to get the hell out into the community. And, you know, you get out of the bag, you get out of uniform, and you get down with the people that are most at risk. And that's what the, the officers in Stockton, that's what they did in this case. Homeless camps looking for leads in the Stockton serial killings. Thanks for staying with us at 530. I'm Curtis May. And I'm Elizabeth Kling. CBS 13's Brady Haubleib joined Stockton's police chief at one of the city's homeless encampments. Stockton's police chief says these check-ins are routine and common, and we met up with him today to find out how the homeless population here are helping out with the investigation and also how they're making sure that everyone staying out here tonight are as safe as possible. Nobody out here uh, walks around at night alone. Duke Cunningham is among those bedding down on the street tonight. He says people are on high alert. Yeah, people are pretty uh, worried about it. Are here. Chief McFadden says his department is working hard to keep people informed about the threat and what to look out for. You know, we're out here with flyers, we're having conversations how they can be safer. Um, everyone wants to be safe. Chief McFadden says the homeless have been helpful in solving crimes in the past. Good morning, homeless outreach. Keeping that relationship strong is critical. It's real important that we maintain that. That, that they recognize them as their own community that we need to support and we need to patrol as well. Over the past few weeks, police have increased patrols near encampments and asking questions that may help with the investigation. I do believe some more will come out of this to where we can start doing that profile building or see what the motive is. Now, today's goal was strictly to offer support and resources to the people living out here. But as long as this serial killer is on the loose, they're going to be making routine check-ins to these encampments. And again, Stockton police have set up a tip line dedicated to this investigation. The number there is 209-937-8167. You can also use the QR code that you see on your screen. Hold your phone's camera up and you can bring up a link where you can share information. You can find both of these on our website as well, cbs13.com. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. If you like this show, Real Crime Stories from a Police Perspective, go on to our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and, and ring that bell. And we also have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a YouTube channel memberships with five, count them, five different levels. And you can see the folks in the green font in this uh, in the chat. They are part of our YouTube family, and we really appreciate them. Uh, they do, they support us through thick and thin, uh, and I really appreciate them. I pretty much try to mention them every single show. And one of our biggest supporters is, uh, if you need an attorney in the New York City area, Joe Murray is your man. Retired NYPD police officer, former heavyweight boxer, outstanding defense attorney uh, and great guy. And he's, he's a frequent guest on the show besides supporting police off the cuff, real crime stories. You can reach Joe on his cell at 718-514-3855 or his email joe at jmurray-law.com. His website is jmurray-law.com. For a great attorney in the New York metropolitan area, Joe is your guy. So, folks, I think that we really have to, uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism in all the cases that we cover of law enforcement. We got to give them a, a great job. We got to, you know, when they do a great job, we got to say it. 
we got to um we got to praise them you know and they did everything right you know i was thinking this was going to be this was going to go on for for a long haul like this was going to be uh uh this was going to be an investigation that they didn't solve for a while but you got to realize they already had seven shootings six fatalities so of course they were as they we call it in law enforcement all hands on deck you know no one anyone that's a, a sworn officer get your butt out in the street all right because we can't afford for this to go on any longer uh we have to put this mutt away you know and they um what what was what did they refer to him as they she wouldn't call him by name she called him the defendant well i think the word defendant is too nice for this guy and the nypd we used to like to call him the perp short for perpetrator and you know now they took that away from cops they cops in new york city aren't allowed to use the word perpetrator anymore it's a kinder and gentler department so i, I figure what they have to call the perp now the the defendant the accused i don't know what they actually call them i remember when uh i first became a cop at central booking they would have the imprint of um this was in manhattan central booking they would have the imprint uh on the floor of two feet to let the perp know that's where your feet belong and you stand there and you have your picture taken and by the two feet on the floor it said mope and i could imagine now if that was still there they'd be looking to like take 10 days from the cop that wrote mope on the floor but it was it was funny it was it was a, it was like a copism i like to call it copisms you know and uh now my god if you ever called or ha had that in central booking they'd be doing a big investigation about it you know uh mr and mrs williams that's right who cares what his name is you're right let's not make him famous right i think serial killers want to be made uh, famous let's not let's not use his name he's a perp use the word perp we'll bring it in from new york we'll take it out west to california california's you know kinder and gentler than new york i think they're a little more woke than new york but uh um rosario lennis yes obviously evil predator but further info regarding his relations married children who if anyone he lived with employment so it helps give a wider view of the killer Look, part of, um, you, you know, I, I talk a lot about victimology when we're trying to find out the background of a victim and we do a complete workup on the background of the victim. There's also something we call a perpology. And when we arrest someone, as in this instance, we do a complete background on who this guy is. Where, how, how many times has he been arrested? Where has he been arrested? What's he been arrested for? Who's he been arrested with? Is he married, single, divorced? Is he gay, straight? What's his sexuality? Um, is he a drug user? Does he own a vehicle? Remember I told you early on in this case, he's an organized offender. He definitely owns a vehicle. I called it right. He owns a vehicle. He wasn't walking around. Walking around doing what he was doing would would have opened him up to too much exposure meaning he'd be out on the street too long a coward like him boom shoots somebody runs to his car and gets the hell out of the area that's what he was doing that's why it was important for the police to know that uh and you know looking at the case and looking at the fact that yeah he was probably what they call an organized defender. He's got a car. He definitely has a car. Uh, Beverly Ray, how can the police stop him if he has not violated a traffic law? There's something called stop, question, and frisk. And if you fit the description of someone wanted for a crime, they can stop you and they can question you. And if it escalates to that, they can frisk you. You can stop someone based on reasonable suspicion, speaking to them, they start lying to you. They don't tell you the truth. They tell you up is down and down is up. That raises the level of suspicion, level of intrusion. You got a license, 
No, you got a registration. No, you got insurance for this car. No, okay, step out of the car. I'm going to toss the car, meaning cop lingo. I'm going to search the car for a gun because you fit the description of someone we're looking for for a shooting. As long as you can articulate your actions, I think a lot of times in this current environment, cops are very much afraid to take action and to articulate the reasons for their actions. That's why all good cops know the law in and out, and they know what they can do, and they know what they can't do. And they believe me, they know what they can do. They know the level of intrusion. Because when you're when you're a good cop and you're put on the stand and you're or you're asked the some of the best interrogation a good cop ever gets is by a district attorney questioning the officer as to what why he did what he did. Explain your actions to me. Why did you take your actions? Why did you think you could stop this guy? Articulate to me why you stopped him. I thought I just did that. He fit the description of someone potentially wanted for a shooting. Uh, We pulled his vehicle over. He was patrolling very slowly throughout this area. He was taking a circuitous route throughout this neighborhood that made no sense. But usually when someone is going somewhere, they take a, a route that makes sense. This made no sense. He was in and out of the side streets. He was going slowly. He was looking along the street. To me, that's suspicious behavior. So I pulled him over. Once I pulled him over, I said, uh, sir, are you lost? Okay, you're not. Can I, you got a license, registration, insurance card? You don't. you don't. You don't have a license. You don't have a registration. Who owns this car? You start asking questions. You start trying to get answers to your questions. And if he doesn't come up with the answers... Then you go to the next level of intrusiveness. And as long as you can articulate this, your actions will be found uh, perfectly legitimate. Who to London mental health and crime? Excellent work, Sergeant Bill Cannon. Well, Stockton police did excellent work. Absolutely. We're so glad that they got this um, serial killer, serial shooter off the street, right? Uh Gayla Dennison, crime in California is out of hand. Governor Newsom needs to reinstate uh, the death penalty here. I don't think that'll ever happen in California. I don't see that happening. Uh, Peter Pranzo, Lieutenant Pete, good to see you. Joe Murray, tough street cop, top attorney, friend, great guy. Joe Murray's a great guy. Folks, I you know, I, I just... Um, when I saw this um, come up, I wanted to get a little more information, and I had um, I didn't know that I would be getting back to this case as quickly as I have because I was thinking that it was going to take a little bit longer for them to get um, uh, information on this case and to make an arrest, and look how quickly it happened. Isn't that great? And as I said, um, Huda, London, mental health and crime. Excellent work, Stockton Law Enforcement, the community, the FBI. Thank you for the excellent service. They did a great job, you know. But you know something? When you arrest someone like this, the investigation is not over. It's just begun. Northern California Cubs fan. Thank you, Supreme Commander, for covering this case. Well done, Stockton PD. Absolutely, guys. When... uh, when law enforcement makes mistakes, I know YouTube and the internet is vicious and goes after them like uh, they can never make a mistake, you know. Uh, so when they do something right and they do and they have a victory like this, we also have to um, Maui Swift. I thought he'd be Caucasian. Well, you know that's sort of most serial killers are. Right, but I I sort of um, thought that he would be an Afro Afro American because of the area that he was uh, committing these crimes, homeless area in Stockton in, in a city community. I think he needed to blend in. I don't think a Caucasian serial killer necessarily would have blended in 
in this community. Um, he he definitely uh, blended in. Stacy's mom. They want us to call prisoners, incarcerated persons. OMG! Let's stop this nonsense. Need to stop coddling criminals. <laughs> I think you're right. I love that the the internet language. OMG! LOL! All the stuff. Half of the stuff I don't know what it means. But uh, <laughs> Marion Weagle, yes, I remember your comment about the car. Well, it's it's not that I'm that I'm smarter than anyone. I've I've studied this stuff, you know. And um, there's a great book, guys. And I'm not um, I'm not believe me, it's, I'm not advertising for it. But anyone in law enforcement, I think, knows this. Anyone that ever investigated homicide. There's a book called Practical Homicide Investigation. It's an expensive book. I think it's well over $100. And it was it's written by Vernon Gebreth, who's a retired NYPD squad lieutenant from a long time ago. But the Practical Homicide Investigative book was sort of the Bible of homicide investigations on a national level. And I think the book these days needs to be updated because there's there's new things. I think I have the fourth edition. I don't know if there's a fifth edition, but there's new things in a homicide investigation that the book hasn't addressed. And some of those new things, of course, are cell phone technology. Is there any case at all that you see covered by a YouTube content creator on a homicide that cell phone technology doesn't come into play some way? I don't think so. I think almost every single case, cell phone technology is comes into play. So I think that practical homicide investigation has to address that. They have to address the internet. They have to address video cameras, which come into play in almost every investigation these days. Video cameras are all over the place. They're on the street. They're in bodegas. They're in subway stations. They're at toll booths. They need to address license plate leaders, license plate readers. I said leaders, license plate readers, which come into play a lot in uh, in investigation of homicides. They need to address artificial intelligence. Mm. Homicide investigation has gotten into, you know, the internet, into the 21st century, you know, facial recognition. They need to address that. Predictive crime analysis. Oh, my God, what is that? All of these things are 21st century crime fighting, things that need to be addressed in all future investigative books. You know, all the new technologies, that DNA. I don't think uh, Practical Homicide Investigation, the book, really um, addresses DNA that much. And there's a whole science uh, on DNA. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. And if you don't understand this stuff and you're a detective or you're an investigator, you're going to be left behind. You know, you're totally going to be left behind. Um, Candy Scarrett, I have always liked your show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, yeah, all of these different um, technologies, we need to uh, – Get them inside our books. We need to get them inside our law enforcement criminal justice programs. You know, there was a great show the other night on Nova. Nova put it out, and it was on exactly what I was just talking about. It was on predictive crime analysis. It was on facial recognition, and it was on artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of controversy because they say predictive crime analysis, they use algorithms, much like, you know, you've heard us talk about how YouTube uses algorithms and how we name our show will largely increase or decrease the size of the audience. If we don't name our show properly, the audience, the YouTube won't push the show out there and the audience won't come. The audience will be like, ah, that doesn't turn me on. So there's key words. Same thing with the algorithms in predictive crime analysis. So it's a fascinating field. Uh, so is facial recognition, you know, facial recognition and identifying perpetrators because 
we can identify perpetrators from video that is made into stills. Talk about the Boston Marathon bombing. The Zarnayev brothers were identified by cell phone videos made by spectators at the Boston Marathon. And the FBI and the Boston Police Department, they put together all these videos and they were able to identify the Zarnayev brothers who were the Boston Marathon bombers. So all of those things based on facial recognition, and you know how the ID, just I won't dwell on the Boston Marathon, but the ID uh, of the Zarnayev brothers from the Boston Marathon, the cell phone video was compared against, guess what? Facebook. That's what made the identity. It identified the perpetrators from the Boston Marathon from cell phone video and stills and compared it against pictures on Facebook and a positive match was made. Uh, I think of Tamerlan Zarnayev. I believe he was the older brother. The second brother's name was Zokar Zarnayev. So, you know, the technology is unbelievable. Um, Jamie, Jamie's realistic life. Uh, oh, I don't know if I, you know, there's been so many um, assaults and murders of cops in uh the country. It's like uh, Trish Norman, Bill Arnold, homicide departments required to do continuing education. Um, Trish, all um, police, period, are required to do uh, continuing training, continuing education. Um, in the detective bureau, where I was assigned 16 years out of my 27, we go to training. And, uh, you know, and also, if you have like a a chief that is a, that came up through the squad system and was a squad commander himself. Sometimes those chiefs can share a lot of what they know. There was a particular one in Manhattan North who was a squad commander for several years before he um, before he made captain, deputy inspector, inspector, and then chief. And he taught me a lot. He taught me a hell of a lot. I don't want to mention his name because a lot of people don't like him. But he taught me a hell of a lot. And uh, I'm not um, Tom Cusinelli. How are you, buddy? Good to see you here. Trish Norman, great to see you. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say he taught me a ton. And sometimes in policing, uh, your peers can teach you more than sometimes schools or instructors or anything. And uh, that's how you learn. You know, on-the-job training. That's what most of policing is, is, is on-the-job training. And uh, that's how we learn. Brownlee, 43 for homicide. The San Joaquin County District Attorney's Office will be reviewing this investigation and will file the appropriate charges. I want all you to know how seriously I take these types of investigations. This morning, when SWAT team was ordered to go out and conduct a search warrant at, at Mr. Rusley's residence, I went with them. Now, I would also like to thank each of you here, the media, thank you. The news coverage, thank you for the social media stories, and thank you for keeping the victims' memories alive during your coverage. You and our community also played a part in this. We still need more tips to come in. If anyone has information about Wesley and this investigation, please get those to our investigators. I tell you that chief is, uh, he's on low gear. He's a low energy type guy, but uh, they got the job done and you got to give him his. Yeah, Tom Cusinelli, you, you hit it on the head. That's who it was. He taught me a great deal about investigation. Uh, Joe Resnick, you know, who wound up being Chief Resnick and then wound up being Deputy Commissioner of Internal Affairs. So uh, I <laughs> I hesitate to mention his name here, but he was one hell of an investigator and uh, he taught me a hell of a lot about investigation and about how to run cases and all of that stuff. So uh, I'm not ashamed to say that uh, he taught me a lot of stuff. Again, folks, this is Police Off the Con... Police... <laughs> 
off the cuff, real crime stories. Uh, if you like this channel and you're not subscribed, please go on our YouTube, subscribe, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. If you want to uh, contribute to us on Patreon, we have three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel memberships, and you can uh, you can support us on that. Um, I just want to mention tomorrow at um, at 4 p.m. I'm going to do a deeper dive into the Kylie Rodney uh, autopsy. I have uh, possession of uh, the 18-page autopsy report. And um, Phil and I, Phil Grimaldi, we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about it. I talked about it the other day, but I didn't do a deep dive because I didn't have, I physically didn't have the autopsy report. And there's a lot of uh, people out there that are following the Kylie Rodney case, and and you know, just just a tragedy, just a horror. Sixteen year old girl lost her life, and from the very beginning of the case, uh, myself, Phil Grimaldi, I know Duty Ron and uh, Ed Wallace, folks with police experience, you know, uh, Phil Grimaldi, 21 years uh, uh, on the NYPD, myself, 27, Duty Ron, 21, Ed Wallace, I, I think he's between 22 and 25, I'm not exactly sure he did, but we, based on all the facts that we had heard early on, we said this sounds like a vehicle accident. And I maintained throughout the whole investigation, I said, I, I still think it's a vehicle accident. Now, the pathologist and the investigators from the Nevada County Sheriff's Office have come back with the cause of death, drowning, the manner of death, accidental. There is still a ton, I mean, a ton of people on the internet that follow these real crime channels that believe they, they believe this was like a conspiracy theory. There's no way that, uh, that this was an accident. And there's no way she died of drowning. They, they covered this up, but they didn't cover it up. But well, anyway, I'm not going to go over it now. I'm going to go over it tomorrow at four, 4 PM myself and Phil Grimaldi. So if you want to join us, we're going to do a deeper dive, uh, into this into the Kylie Rodney autopsy tomorrow. I mean, Duty Ron already did an amazing job with Barbara Butcher um, and Ed Wallace. Barbara Butcher, uh, I actually worked with her when I was on the NYPD. She's probably one of the top death investigators in the world, not just in New York, in the world. She's attended, I think, you know, when you, people throw out numbers, a lot of times you're like, yeah, sure. She's attended over 650 autopsies, physically been at them. And I forget the number of death scenes she's been to. Just like crazy, crazy amount of death scenes. Um, so she's one of the best death investigators in the country. And she gave her opinion on the Kylie Rodney autopsy. And um, she spoke about... Oh, well, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow. But she spoke a lot about uh, Margaret Hearn, such a sad story, Sergeant Bill, an unfortunate youthful mistake that destroys family and friends. Yes. Um, you know, though, Margaret, you would think that people have never heard of teenage drinking or teenage partying. It's like, oh, my God, they're, like, shocked that it occurs. I mean... I'm not shocked by that or shocked that in suburban neighborhoods, kids gather in, in numbers in the hundreds to drink and party and smoke weed and do whatever they do. I'm not shocked by that. But sometimes, um, Andy the Gabby Cabby, <laughs> he's in he's in London. Hey, he's Bill, sat at airport, just seen you're on. Yeah, uh, Andy, I'm just about ready to go off. I'm just coming up on an hour. Uh, I didn't plan on this live, but uh, it's good to see you. Too bad you're working. Too bad you're not sitting down with a beer in your hand right now. There's Andy the Gabby Cabby, but uh, great to see you anyway. Anyway, folks, so if you want, um, you know, join me tomorrow at 4 p.m. We're going to discuss the Kylie Rodney um, 
autopsy. And um, I want to thank everyone uh, for tuning in tonight. Have a great rest of your night. Uh, God bless, and I'll see you soon. One episode, just